0: sisters! Brothers and sisters, I don't know what this world is coming to! Welcome to episode 13 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As right now you're probably wondering whether the world needs another effing marketing podcast. I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of Rockstar CMO and chief bottle washer at the content marketing agency, Pingo. This episode was recorded on Friday the 5th of June, and I hope you are safe, well, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. Not being able to go to the pub seems to be the least of the world's problems right now. And whatever is going on in your world, thank you for sharing some time with us. Recently, I've been starting the podcast with a funny little outtake, but today, reflecting the times, I thought I'd drop a snippet of Public Enemy's Rebel Without a Pause, who sampled a speech from the Reverend Jesse Jackson, which is the clip you just heard. It comes from the album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, that I purchased around about 1990 or so. It's astonishing how the message of that album is so relevant to what we're seeing today in the US. Take a listen. This week, I'll be chatting to David Howland, who has had a wonderful marketing career that started as a cabinet maker to most recently working on repositioning and the successful acquisition of Longview Solutions, a SaaS fintech vendor uh, in his role as CMO. I'm delighted to welcome my friend and guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the content advisory to the virtual Rockstar CMO bar for a cocktail. Regular listeners might guess what I'll be drinking. But first, I'll flick through the pages of our monthly dose of marketing street knowledge that we call rockstarcmo.com and I'll suggest something that I'd like you to take a look at. Right, let's get on with the show, shall we? This week, we published a brand new issue of Rockstar CMO, the Club Classic Volume 1 issue, named after the Soul to Soul album that features the track Keep On Moving. That's our theme. How do we as marketers keep on moving through the COVID-19 crisis? However, in the light of what's happening in the US, whilst I'd love you to check this out, as our community has some wonderful advice in there, I'll return to that next week. The issue I'd actually like you to take a look at is the People Are People issue from last September. This issue was named after the Depeche Mode song People Are People, which was astonishingly released in 1984. If you're not familiar with it, its lyrics are very relevant to today. People
1: are people, so why
0: And as you might have guessed, the theme of that issue was diversity in marketing. I wanted to mention that issue because we all play a role in shaping our society. But especially as marketers and communicators, we help define the culture, context and experience of our fellow people. Our own personal contribution may seem small, but everything we do matters. For example, as I discussed on my personal Tuesday Two Cents blog this week, in 2012, Dub described one of its products as being good for normal to dark skin. Now think about the copywriter, the creative director, the account guy, the designer, the folks that printed the labels, the client, and all the approval processes that went through. Marketers like you and me that failed to spot the inference that being dark was not normal. Back to the people are people issue, it features diverse voices and has a positive message of the economic and creative value of having diverse teams and a marketing strategy that addresses the whole community. It's not just the right thing to do to avoid the mistakes of companies like Dove, it just makes sense. If right now you reflect on how you're marketing, you're hiring, how you go beyond just putting a black filter on your logo, take a look and please reach out to some of the experts we spoke to. I especially encourage you to chat to L. Michelle Smith and Sydney Craig Hart are both doing great work promoting black businesses and entrepreneurs. Michelle's Cultural Soup podcast is well worth a listen. Of course, you will find a link to the issue in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. But right now, it's also featured on the homepage of our website, rockstarcmo.com. Right, onto the interview section. I'll be honest, I'm shamelessly using this podcast as an excuse to catch up with people I really like, and I haven't spoken to for a while, or as an excuse to meet people I've only collaborated with virtually. And this episode is no exception, as I get to catch up with David Howland, a marketing leader and CMO with a fantastic marketing brain. I first met David a few years ago when he was the global head of brand and digital marketing at NASDAQ in New York who remain one of my favorite clients over my career. I enjoyed our conversations back then and since, and I hope you enjoy this interview. (laughs) Welcome, David, to Rockstar CMO FM. Um, Tell us a bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a CMO.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here and to join you for this conversation. So I um, have had a long career in marketing and design in the creative arts, Uh, just coming off of my last gig as CMO of Longview Solutions, a Toronto-based company focused on providing a suite of solutions to the office of the CFO. I started my career uh, as a 22-year-old cabinet maker in Seattle, so it certainly Mm -hmm. has been a long and very diverse journey, but one that and looking backwards makes complete sense. It's mm-hmm. been all about opportunities, creating experiences, creating moments in time, and really engaging with prospects and people in a variety of different ways—three dimensional, digital, and otherwise. Mm-hmm.
0: I like the way you um, express that because I was going to pick up on the cabinet maker experience, which, of course, um, you know, we've talked about before because we've known each other a few years. Um and I like the way that you you express that. That's part you you were creating experience even then.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah that whole notion of creating space and creating an an aesthetic experience within three-dimensional space. And it was a great way as a young individual to start to work this sense of craft into Mm -hmm. what I do Mm -hmm. and to learn from that experience. And it was everything from basic office furniture to high-end kitchen work to individual pieces of furniture. And of course, I was just a sponge, a young individual (laughs) surrounded by very well-seasoned, veterans, just learning as much as I could.
0: Yeah, yeah. What what actually, I don't think I know the answer to this question, what actually tripped the transition from working with your hands in that way into, you know, becoming a marketer?
1: Again, several steps in that journey. My focus at that time was really more on art and museum work. I -hmm. was very active in a number of different museums from the Seattle Art Museum to the National Gallery of Art in D.C., I ended up moving back from the West Coast to the East Coast to, uh, to join uh, the International Center of Photography in New York mm-hmm. City mm-hmm. as an assistant curator. And it was there that I was first introduced to marketing. Uh, I started out, and ICP is a very, very small organization. And while I was being hired to help from a curatorial role, there was the need for an art director. And mm-hmm. so they essentially said, here you go. You've been hired to do X, but here are the other hats you're going to wear. <laughs> Very cool.
0: And were you and, and of course, we met at NASDAQ. Well, it's not it's not, of course, to everybody who's listening, but we met uh, uh, we met at NASDAQ, of course, in New York. And um, was that where you just landed and you stayed on the East Coast from that point?
1: I did end up staying somewhat uh east compared to to Seattle, but I ended mm-hmm. up bouncing around a lot. I've actually lived in eleven different states wow. thirteen times uh so I did find my way uh in Ohio for a period of time, again cutting my teeth in different ways, and yeah. and and doing a lot. It was around surrounded by um, a real pursuit of of design. If it weren't for desktop publishing, I don't know that I would be in this line of business. Wow,
0: wow, well, we, well, it's funny the little things we have to thank during uh, during our careers. Um, so right we we're, we're chatting at the moment i think it's difficult to say whether we're in the middle of the pandemic or at the end and it really depends on whereabouts you are in the world um but what's your you know i can't we can't really have a chat without mentioning it and what's your advice right now from this experience of i mean you know you we've we've both probably worked through a number of downturns as well so what's your advice to marketers right now
1: yeah, my my advice to marketers is to, first and foremost, remember that downturns come with the territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen these, we'll see more in the future. And there's a hubris that one can you know, fall into when things are going exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's to remember that uh, you always have to think forward to where we'll be Not today, but in 6, 12, 24 months and how to prepare for that and to execute accordingly. We think it's easy when times are going well to take credit for it and to... Know, have that energy and uh, enthusiasm, but one has to be an evangelist and one has to, I believe, as a marketer, view the art of the possible at all points in time, whether good times or bad, and and recognize that it's, it's our job really to rally the troops across the company, not just within our own teams, but across the company and to recognize that we are, as marketers, all about seeing and executing in favor of the potential.
0: Yeah, that's a, such a great statement and I agree um we, we carry the uh, bullhorn I think is the right American expression for for the organization right internally and externally um and I'm uh, some at the moment organizations are kind of deciding whether they're going to invest in marketing or whether they're can cut back in marketing the traditional I guess trope around this is that marketing is the first to be cut what uh, is that what you're seeing out in market, or what's your advice? Have you got an experience from previous downturns on that?
1: Absolutely, and, and what I'm seeing is just the opposite. I'm in, I'm, I'm doing a lot of networking. Having been you know, relatively recently relocated to the Boston area, but yet working for a company based in Toronto means that I haven't spent a lot of time getting to know the professional network in Boston. So I'm mm-hmm. using this time now to really understand. And to to try and be a a contributor locally, both mm-hmm. in terms of mentor, coach, peer, professional, and so forth. Uh, and what I'm hearing from the conversations that I'm having is is similar to my professional experience. Is that at times like this, marketing is more important than ever because it's about positioning. It's about being uh, being uh, essentially aware and present in the market. Mm-hmm. And more than ever, there's so much noise. And, you know, what my, my focus is at times good and bad, but especially right now is to always be authentic, and to always think and consider your customer, your prospect, and their needs first and foremost. Mm. We're being bombarded right now with how this brand or that company can help us during this time of challenge and and Mm. so on and so forth. And and it really does, in many cases, ring as inauthentic or hollow. So I, I think it's very important to recognize that, you know, we open doors. We create yeah. presence in mind and being top of mind. And whereas I think that's a good example of of certainly there are companies that look at marketing as something that is a flexible budget, something that is non-essential and that can mm-hmm. be cut. But in doing so, what you're ultimately doing is undermining the future success and growth of a company.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's um well, last, um, last week on the podcast, I was talking to Robert Rose. We were talking about planting trees. And it's that kind of analogy, isn't it? That mm-hmm. whatever you do in marketing today, you're not going to see the benefit of it tomorrow. You're going to see it in three, six or whatever months time or quarters or how, whatever the project is. And unless you do that now, then you're going to feel the pinch when that comes along, right?
1: And and there are variations of this conversation and dynamic. Yeah. A, a few years ago, I was having a, a fairly substantial uh, discussion with uh, my then peer as a CFO mm-hmm. over, we were in the process of, um, doing a bit of a, of a revamp of our sales team in North mm-hmm. America.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and his perspective was if we don't have seasoned sales professionals in place, mm-hmm. uh, and we're building the team, why are we spending money on marketing activities now? Yeah. And it's, it's really, so this gets back to an additional thought to what we talked about just a couple of minutes ago with the role of us as, as, as evangelists. We also have to educate. We have to educate across the executive team. We have to educate across the organization in the role of how these pieces fit together, because it's absolutely true. That metaphor of planting the tree today or the tomato plant today, so (laughs) we've got tomatoes in August. Yeah, yeah simple. It makes sense to us, but we yeah. have to be credible and persistent in how we communicate that information.
0: Yeah. I had, a, I had a client last year and I was brought in after they'd already ramped up their sales team. And then they're looking at, looking to me saying, we need to generate leads for these people we've just hired. And you're quite <laughs> exasperated yeah. thinking, you know, we should have done that the other way around. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that's really interesting. And, and on the topic of advice, um, we chatted um, last year in the backstage Q and A. I don't know if you remember, and um, I asked you about advice you would give to your younger self, uh, and you said never let your title or position define you. I think it was a, some advice you got from an, from an old boss, maybe at Nasdaq. Well, what, what did they mean by that? How, how, how would if you were talking to your younger self now? How would you describe that?
1: Sure. Well, the, the person who gave me that advice was Adina Friedman who um, is now the CEO of NASDAQ, and she started at the company as an intern and really worked her way, obviously, up through the ranks and and only had one gig, so to speak, midway through her her journey outside of NASDAQ. Uh, So she was someone who saw opportunity and embraced uh, her roles with enthusiasm and energy and by virtue of being entrepreneurial along the way was able to continue to grow her career and that models and, and aligns very well with with mine you know, mm-hmm. starting as a cabinet maker of course mm-hmm. I had no vision of becoming a cmo of a saas company eventually yeah but um, it's it's always about recognizing that we each one of us has a unique set of talents and there are no like snowflakes, if you will, there are no yeah. two people who are the same when they enter a position. And you know, when I'm hiring, I'm looking for someone who can check some boxes, but I'm also looking very specifically for someone who's going to surprise me and yeah. to contribute in ways that I didn't realize I needed and didn't yeah. realize this individual would be able to step up. And yeah. you know, I think about it, I use an analogy of, you know, when I take my car to the mechanic, I don't yeah. tell men, the mechanic what I want them to do. I talk about what my needs are as far as, as a client with the car, yeah. and I expect them to use their expertise to find the best way to solve for it and to also be aware of what else might be you know, in need of tending to or what other opportunities exist.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, well, I mean, there's, there's so much that's interesting there. One is is that is this idea of being entrepreneurial within a large organization because I think a lot of young people are put off being in large organizations because they think that that will somehow suffocate their their, their view about entrepreneurism. Entra- entrepreneurialism. I can't say that. <laughs> and the <laughs> other thing is I think that ha- the, the, your car analogy is excellent because I think that gets asked a lot of marketing. I think we get asked to do things like run a particular kind of campaign or do PPC or do this, but we're not asked to do to 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 achieve an outcome do you know I mean? exactly. so quite often marketing conversations aren't about outcomes they're about doing things is that fair do you think
1: I think that's that's the biggest uphill climb that we as marketers face yeah is separating the I need x number of leads that will translate into qualified pipeline mm-hmm. from here 's what we need to do. We yeah. have revenue goals,, yeah. and there are a number of ways to achieve this and yeah. my last role i was I was hired uh, in large part because this the CEO at the time uh Mark Hatton had been with longview for four or five months. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was his, you know, third company that he was going to grow and and eventually to uh, lead to exit. And he, mm-hmm. his perspective was, you know, as uh, as a CEO the most important hire for him to make was a strategic CMO. Yeah. You know, how could I, you know, turn down that? Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah. it, the idea being that it's a strategic CMO who's going to come in and recognize that yes, there's a tactical side of it. There's the low-hanging yeah. fruit. There's the pipeline, but there has to be a larger um, overall uh, agenda in place that's comprised yeah. of the health of the organization, the marketing team, and beyond. That yeah. has that evangelist. Uh, Component to it, and that essentially helps him not just in repositioning the company, but helps the CEO to teach the rest of the company, leading by example, that you may be an X million dollar euro revenue company per year. Mm -hmm. But how do you think like that times two, that times three at all points in time?
0: Yeah I I had a former CEO who was exactly the same very inspirational guy um that that brought me on board in the same way and would constantly be challenging me to think bigger and he encouraged all of his senior team to think like an organization twice the size and and what we would do to get there um and I uh, that that's so good now I think that also goes back to your point earlier about um not letting your title or position define you, that's the same for organizations, isn't it? Not let their current size define who they are in the market necessarily.
1: Exactly. Otherwise, how are you going to be able to identify whether they're niche opportunities or otherwise a way of differentiating yourself from the competition. And to get back to NASDAQ for a moment, it truly was, yes, large organization, large company, highly entrepreneurial, quite aggressive internally in terms of culture while I was there. But if if you don't step up and and showcase your talents, no one's going to necessarily give you the space and the time to do so yeah. It, it really, it's incumbent, especially when you're younger in your career. It's incumbent upon us to really demonstrate expertise and and just a an, a a thirst and a curiosity.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I have no idea what the culture of Nasdaq is like now. It was how how many years ago, David, when we worked together. But um, I really enjoyed it working with you guys as a client. Well, you guys then as a client, if you see what I mean. Um and I, I I met some really great people at NASDAQ. It was it was a really good time. Um and, and before we were chatting, I was saying how I still look back on that period of my career with, with great fondness. Um now this is interesting because I think this this conversation is now leading to um, two points, really, that form in my head. One is is the recognition that marketing is a growth role within the organization. Right? Is that too many marketers are forgetting that that we're we're just on the hamster wheel of getting things done? Um, how do you, how do you position marketing when you go into a new role with the C suite around that? Is, that's your approach, I presume?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's what I'm thinking is as as I, you know, enter into a new environment and present marketings uh, mandate so to speak and and the higher purpose that we're trying to achieve and it really is recognizing that we have to be yes, you know, driving the bus while we build it. It's yeah. always something that is it's a reality of what we do. There's the low-hanging fruit that we're going to be executing on, but we have to have a vision for who the company will be someday.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And you know, as part of this, there has to be accountability and transparency in everything. And I cannot emphasize enough the need to communicate and over-communicate with key stakeholders. The more that we as marketers can showcase. What our activities are, our goals mm-hmm. are, how everything ties together. That then demonstrates uh, not only expertise, but also that we have a plan. Yeah. With confidence yeah. that comes from that. Yeah. Uh, So many organizations from a marketing perspective are focused on very tactical. Gets back to I need leads. Yeah. Rather than focused on, you know, what is the overall, you know, agenda in play here and the the basket of activities and how Mm -hmm. does, you know, a content initiative that's going to help from a uh, SEO perspective intertwine with a social outreach, with, you know, re- remarketing and retargeting with you know even some um, some event strategies and otherwise and there's no what I like to talk about in, in team meetings and executive team meetings is that there's there's no one thing that's gonna do it. It's fast. Yeah. We have to be hitting on so many different platforms yeah. and channels. And yeah. there's a reason we talk about omnichannel and and when you start to bring all of that together, people get a sense of okay, there's a vision here.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: But to get back to the the transparency, you know, we live in a in a data driven age, mm-hmm. and you know, I like so many others, if not most, talk about being a data driven marketer. And I heard a quote. I don't remember off the top of my head where I read or heard this, but it was, you know, from some large U.S. company from the CMO saying we were so focused on our dashboards that we were forgetting to look out the window.
0: <laughs> That's a great quote.
1: Yeah, I love it. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll dig up the you know, yeah. the proper attribution at some point. But but ultimately, we have to remember that data is is something that can be manipulated and it's something that is is open to interpretation yeah i am a huge fan of of real-time dashboards available throughout the organization to monthly reporting if not more with an executive summary that helps to provide context Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not just for the marketing side Uh, i'm talking about end to end Mm -hmm. so in Mm -hmm. my last two organizations i've i've set up a, you know, from unknown prospect all the way through to closed, one or lost. Yeah. Um, so that there is at every stage a, a full transparency and access for uh, stakeholders across the company to be able to see that. And that way you get not just the marketing team, but individuals within the marketing team, your BDR or SDRs, yeah. your account executives, all the way through so that there is a clear understanding it's not about uh, pointing fingers or a blame game. To me, it's always about recognizing where are the leaking buckets, Uh where are we underperforming, whether it's an individual, a team, a piece of content, a tactic, Uh a region, no matter what, we need to be able to shine a light on everything to be able to understand where there's opportunity for improvement. There's there's this concept of taking what's good Uh and recognizing the good and building on it And when you do so, you preserve it, and you end up, by virtue of that, really crowding out some of the gaps, but also naturally addressing the gaps, identifying and addressing them. And it's a concept called appreciative inquiry. So I always like to start with, okay, what's working? And how can we make sure that it's not about a do no harm, but how can we make sure that we continue to evolve and improve that which is working while we address the gaps?
0: Yeah, no, that's really. I like that expression. That's really good. Um, And I I sometimes think of it like, um, as a CMO, you're managing a a portfolio of investments, Mm -hmm. and that some are going to perform better than others. Um, But but you need you need to be across the piece. You can't just have one. Yeah, And and, and then you need to fail fast, move out of that particular investment, move into another one. I think that's really interesting. The other thing about your point about um, metrics, absolutely, especially if they're metrics that the C-suite understands and you're avoiding the sort of vanity metrics or the hard ones to really grasp. If if everything ladders up to growth and revenue, right? That's yeah. that's what the C suite are interested in. That's really yeah. interesting. So and then um so if we go back to the interview we had a year ago, um, and this is very related to what you just mentioned, is um you you threw into Just to explain to any of the listeners that haven't heard the show before, we have a rockstar CMO swimming pool where we throw all of the crap, snake oil and bullshit of the the industry into and hope that it never returns. Um, It's our special little portal to hell, marketing hell, if you like. And for that interview, you chucked that marketing has never led to a single closed deal or the often repeated critique of marketing and brand awareness as ineffective and soft. (laughs) <laughs> which, which I think is basically what you've just been saying. Is that still mm-hmm. your biggest pet peeve that you chuck into the swimming
1: pool? It it is. It, yeah. it continues to be, and and I think you know, and you know, a, a bit of context there is is I've I've had these words said to me many really times. yes, and and I've had them said from a, a former CEO while um, a few beers in at a bowling alley wow. during an employee event. Wow, uh, it's it's interesting, you know. It, marketing is the very notion that marketing is is ineffective and soft is something that we have to recognize that look there are a variety of opinions out there yeah and we can't be defined by the opinions of others we have to again by being proactive by having a strong voice we need to set the agenda set the Mm -hmm. understanding and if we're not communicating then it ultimately comes down to being shame on us for not you know influencing those opinions and and showcasing that and you know, it comes down to this when i think about about um, um sales and the idea of boots on the ground and closing deals i i align that with uh, from a distribution perspective the last leg of the journey whether it's the last 15 feet or meters concept that amazon and so many others are are trying to solve for as effectively as possible Marketing is all about that market differentiation, that brand awareness that is, you know, really the you know, the stats are clear in terms of how much research is being done before there's any outreach from a prospect. We know that opinions are being formed well before there is any kind of concrete dialogue or interaction with sales. and. Marketing attribution is something that is so critical to this. Unfortunately, there are now many MarTech offerings, SaaS offerings in the market that uh, help us to tell this story. But ultimately, it is a collaboration. It is a partnership. Um, I have uh, been in a number of different situations where uh, there is close um, partnership and dialogue with the sales teams, There is a clear handoff that takes place with continued support from marketing. And we really are, you know, one team, one dream. Mm -hmm. I've also seen and been participated in other environments where there is a disconnect. The sales team in that final leg of the journey are not uh, in support, aware, however you want to characterize it, of what's happened thus far and of what marketing is doing. And sometimes, and oftentimes it's because they're just, they don't know. Yeah. Yeah, um, And so that buyer's journey and that buyer's experience is not an effective one.
0: Yeah.
1: And from a sales perspective, you know, it's clear when you look at the numbers and you see those high-performing companies and organizations that are going to see, from a SaaS perspective, a 4x close rate hmm. in terms of you know, the pipeline coverage needed to reach their goals, uh, their revenue goals. Those are organizations where you see that that compelling need has already been communicated by market yeah, yeah. that market differentiation and the urgency. Yeah. Those are the concepts that have already been clearly articulated and, you know, and presented in a in a way that is again authentic. A key word for me, mm-hmm. and that it's 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 not necessarily an easy job for sales at that point, but with alignment uh, comes success.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. But I'm afraid that's all we have got time for today. I could talk to you all, all afternoon, but I'm um, afraid uh, we've we've run out of time. Um, where, if if the listener was to spin the dial on the interwebs, where may, might they find you, David?
1: Well, ultimately, LinkedIn is is the best mm-hmm. way. I'm someone who uh, I'm fairly private when it comes to my digital profile, uh-huh. and uh, you know, I spend all my time online during the day and supporting the the businesses where I work and, and their profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am one who not particularly active on Facebook. That's a, a personal choice. Yeah. Instagram for me is private. Yeah. Um, it's really LinkedIn and Twitter is is where I um, aspire to be as as present and vocal as possible. So those are the best places to find me. All right,
0: and I'll share those links in in, in the show notes. So this is a really fascinating conversation, David. And I could have I could have explored the last points you were making uh in, for, for the rest of the afternoon but unfortunately <laughs> at some point we need to uh, we need to continue and hopefully you'll join us again on, on the podcast and we can start talking about those issues in a little bit more detail so thank you very much I look forward to speaking to you again David
1: absolutely thank you for this Ian it was yeah. it was great to have the opportunity to talk
0: cheers mate okay, bye splendid thank you David quite a serious issue this week so time to unwind and what better way than with a cocktail and what better cocktail than one of robert rose's famous friday concoctions let's go see if he's in the bar good evening robert what are you drinking
2: Oh, hello, my friend. It's so great to hear your voice. Um, well, you know, it, it is. Uh, what we're drinking tonight mm-hmm. is we're calling it the flower in your face. Ooh, um, it's a yeah, it's a it's a it's a really fun one. It's a, it's a little complex. Mm-hmm. So what we have here is we have a a bit of muddled blueberry, mm-hmm. uh, some Meyer lemon juice, and a mm-hmm. splash of lime. So you've got blueberry, lemon, and lime, and then you mix all of this with maybe one of my favorite tequilas of all time, which is the uh, Expressionist, uh del Corazon Buffalo Trace, which is uh, a wonderful aged Anejo uh, tequila. And you put all that together, um, and I like a salt rim around that because it sort mm-hmm. of balances off the, uh, the fruit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a margarita with blueberry, lemon, and lime, but it's really not, it's in your face.
0: That sounds great. I mean, a lot of your cocktails sound like health tonics, but for adults, they sound fantastic. Anyway, let's have a look at what I've got and see if I can make it. I've got Hendrix Gin. Does that sound? Is that similar?
2: It's pretty close. Yeah, that's Uh that's
0: all right. Let's try some of that. Um, And what else did you say you put in that?
2: Uh, We've got a little uh, muddled blueberry and uh, lemon juice.
0: All right, so I've got an ice cube.
2: Uh, Sure, that'll uh, that will replace.
0: Yeah, and I've got since I'm I'm I, I have no idea what muddling means, but I think I'm muddling some tonic here. So uh,
2: (laughs) I think you probably are muddling the tonic. Muddling the
0: tonic, and let me give this a try, mate. And what did you say it was called?
2: Uh, It's called the in your face. Oh,
0: I I think it's quite 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 a rude name for quite a refreshing drink. That is, that's very nice. That's delicious, Robert. Thank you very much. I shall be drinking more of those, I think, in the future
2: you probably should yeah i mean <laughs> simple enough to make that's for sure
0: well i've got the ingredients right here on my desk it's brilliant
1: um,
2: yeah
0: and when we uh when when we go and uh, have a few of these uh when the world has airplanes again where, where would we go and drink this one
2: well you know i think one of the the places that we'd have to go um, especially with a drink like this, cause it's really a summertime drink. Um, mm-hmm. is, you know, there is a place, uh, just off the coast of South Carolina. Um, and there are beaches there. Um, the, none of the, you know, there's some very popular tourist beaches there, but there are some really un, you know, some more, uh, sort of lesser known islands, uh, and places in South Carolina, just off the coast there that are just fantastic. They're yeah. just a fantastic place to hang out. The water's warm. The beaches are white. It's just, it's, uh, you know, yeah. the, the sand is beautiful. It's, it's just, it couldn't be a, a nicer place to just hang out and have a nice cool drink.
0: Yeah. I love it down there. Um, as a family we uh, we did a, a vacation once so we drove from um Stanford in Connecticut, where we were living all the way down to Florida and we took about three or four days and we stopped off in various places that you wouldn 't normally well i wouldn 't normally go to you know on business uh, in mm. in the carolinas and uh, and down in georgia and it was it was just a it was a great, easy cruise down there and we had lovely weather and like you say uh sitting by those beaches with with a nice cold whatever you can make <laughs> it was very nice
2: nice <laughs> very that's nice. Uh, that's but that's a beautiful place to be
0: very nice so I guess we're sitting on our end deck chairs or something like that I don't know how to announce that clearly uh and uh, and we're staring out at the sea and uh, at some point I guess uh we need to go back to the hotel and um, as I as I do that or my beach house I guess I could I could fantasize a beach house for this couldn't I Uh, What would would I be thinking as I I scoop the sand out of my toes?
2: Well, hopefully you're thinking about creativity. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things that we don't do in business is actually allow ourselves to be creative. You know, we often, you know, really focus in on output equals busy. Um, And so we get into this pattern where in our teams, in our schedules in our calendars that we, that we, you know, maintain for editorial purposes, we measure it by output, um, and purely by, you know, output. It's a very industrial manufacturing kind of way of looking at our, um, sense of, of, of activity. And I think one of the things that can be really helpful is to schedule time with our team, with ourselves, but especially with our team as we're, you know, having um, all the rest of the activities that we have to do, but t- yeah. time to produce nothing. You know, yeah. in other words, time to actually sit and be creative and think about things, think about big things, think about creative, innovative things with no expectation of productive output, just yeah. c- being creative. And it's such an important part of the process that we rarely make time for. And I think making time for that would be hopefully something that we're kicking off our. Flip flops as we as we, uh, you know,
0: and that's fantastic. I I just had it's very strange. I just had this conversation the other day about creativity with um, with an agency on a different podcast, and um, what I can, can. conveyed or confessed as a cmo hiring an agency is i was jealous of the fact that i as the cmo had no time for creativity and had was on the hamster wheel really this thing that i talk about all the time and and yet the agency of course i'm paying them to sit around and come out with ideas and i'm i'm looking at them going i want to be doing that you know, so. right exactly <laughs> So I think exactly. that's a really good tip because I think that a lot of us are more creative than we think we just don't give ourselves time to do that
2: Well the funny thing is is that we tend to it's it's, it's a funny thing we tend to outsource it because yeah. we we outsource the coolest and most exciting and interesting parts yeah. of our job because what we do is we associate risk with that right yeah we associate that you know being creative and outsourcing that to an agency is somehow, less risky than us actually being creative yeah you know in other words we we want to rely on the experts to be creative for us Mm -hmm. so that if we don't like it or it doesn't work it's not us we we didn't make that decision and the result of that of course is yes it it may be less risky to hire an agency to go out and take a risk on some cool creative interesting new idea but the challenge of it is is that it doesn't make our job terribly exciting you know uh, you know sitting around approving purchase orders isn't isn't nearly as exciting as sitting in a room and coming up with something interesting to talk about.
0: For sure absolutely and and some um, senior marketers paint themselves into that corner and it's it's sad to see because people go into marketing don't they feeling it's going to be a creative path that's right and then like you say they end up they end up just being execution marketers and, and signers of purchase orders yeah that's really interesting I, I love that thought thank you thank you robert uh, and thank you for joining me in the bar again this evening um and i understand you've got an event coming up
2: oh we do have an event coming up uh we do have an event it's going to be our content tech event which uh is of course uh you know the, it was going to be a physical event and now has been changed over to a um a, uh, uh, a virtual event, and we'll be having a sneak peek of that in June, in the middle of June, and then and then uh, a, I guess what you call the full event is uh, being scheduled for August. Um, and so, yeah, if you go to, uh, uh, well, you can just Google literally Content Tech Summit. Um, mm-hmm. It's also at contenttechsummit.com but you know, Google Content Tech Summit, and you'll find the website and all sorts of ways to get registered and all our speakers that we've got, and it's going to be a good show.
0: It sounds, it sounds really interesting, very relevant to probably what a lot of our listeners are worried about at the moment. So thank you very much, Robert, and um, hopefully see you next week. Of course. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Robert. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for dropping your virtual quarter into your podcasting jukebox and choosing us. Thanks also to our Rockstar CMO contributing community, to David and Robert, and of course to you for listening. If you like the show or have some suggestions or feedback, please let us know or drop a rating into the podcasting platform of your choice. I'd really appreciate your feedback as we try to improve this thing. It'd be splendid if you subscribed or you can get in touch with us through our website rockstarcmo.com on Twitter at Rockstar CMO or on LinkedIn. The show notes for this episode, with all the links, are at rockstarcmo.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested in the people are people issue, it's featured on our homepage. I've been your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor at rockstarcmo.com and chief bottle washer at Atro Pingo. Next week, I'm chatting to Wendy Bryant-Bezik, CMO of Service Credit Union. Until then, stay well, stay safe, stay sane, and I look forward to you joining us again on Rockstar CMO FM.